Hello. In this episode, Francis Cosway and I talk about some of the top myths that we see perpetuated about interior designers and interior design. These are myths not only talked about by homeowners, we also see them in the design industry as well. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together, we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before we dive into the interview, if you're listening because you want to get it right in your home's interior design, well, let me take a moment to tell you about the online program, Interior Design 101. If you're like most homeowners I know, dreaming, planning and choosing the interior design, finishes and items in your home, it's one of the fantastic and exciting highlights of any renovation or new build project. And yet, it can also be a minefield of options, confusion and overwhelm. Would you like to simplify those choices and have total clarity and confidence that your interior design will help you create your beautiful, functional, feel-good home? Well, that's exactly why Interior Design 101 was created. Interior Design 101 is a self-study DIY program. It contains the full version of all the interviews that are included in the podcast season. I couldn't put all of the questions into the podcast, so we've got the full interviews in both audio and video format, plus extra content that's been specifically created for Interior Design 101. There's full transcripts of all of our interviews. There's also extra checklists, guides, design layouts, and so much good stuff to support you in the interior design of your renovation new home or smaller project. This program has been designed to help you gain clarity and confidence in all those selections and decisions that you need to make for the finishes, fixtures, colours, materials and items that you'll be living with every day. So if you'd like to learn more about Interior Design 101, then head to www.interiordesign101.com.au and that's the numbers, the numerals 101. So Interior Design 101.com.au and I'll pop that link in the show notes as well. Now let's kick off our episode. Having worked in this industry for 25 years now, I've seen all sorts of things get said and thought about interior designers and interior design. And it's not all been kind. You know, interestingly, when I actually first started my career, it wasn't that common to work with an interior designer. I was working in a small architectural practice in my early 20s and I found that we did the interior design ourselves as architects on all of our projects. I actually learned that as an architect, I had to think about and understand and design all the components of any project from the big chunky 50 metre decisions through to the small detailed and intricate five millimetre ones as well. And I found it really interesting because my early experience was all about the importance of these 50 millimeter these 50 meter decisions and these 5 millimeter decisions actually having a relationship with each other in order for the building be it a large commercial or a public project you know right through to an individual home for that building to hang together as a holistic experience and project, these 50 metre and 5 millimetre decisions and everything in between had to have a relationship to each other. So as I chatted to Francis about assumptions and myths, we could see how easy it is as a homeowner to get caught out. 
So listen into this episode to learn more about fee structures, why briefing your interior designer early can be so important, and the assumptions that you might be mistaken about. I really hope you enjoy this chat. Well, Francis, we're here to talk about the myths when it comes to working with an interior designer and to the interior design industry in general. I see and hear lots of these myths and misconceptions and uh, and a lot of confusion. And I think, you know, it's really that thing of um, not understanding the incredible asset that an interior designer can be to your team and just their range of knowledge and expertise in what they can do. And I think too, there's a lot of operators in the industry who don't have necessarily, as we were talking about in the last episode, that technical understanding, that design understanding, who are potentially muddying the waters of what interior designers are capable of because they get grouped in with the same kind of part of the industry. And it's like, well, I can see that interior designer is only doing soft furnishings what makes why on earth would I bring an interior designer on early in my project I don't need to think about soft furnishings then I don't even know if I'm gonna have the budget for soft furnishings you know so what do you see a lot of homeowners mistakenly assume about interior designers and what they'll do well I think it's probably just that I think the first and foremost is they assume or yeah make the assumption that we deal with I always say this saying of colors and shapes it's you know, the fun stuff at the end or it is we just deal with colours and shapes. As I think you mentioned on the last episode, you're just going to shake a few cushions around. Um, so cushions, window treatments and furniture, so i.e. we don't need them at the start of the project. Um, I think they also think that we just do paint colours. So, yes, I need an interior designer to choose my paint colours um, or maybe even Salubrious is saying, oh, they can design my kitchen. Um, but I think really it's um, it, it's more around the decorating thing that an interior designer is what we would know as a decorator and they don't realise that we look at functionality, space planning, the practicalities um, and the material choices, both hard and, and soft furnishings and what's going to be right for, for the circumstances of the family living there. Yeah, and I think for me, I know that a good interior designer will think about the we'll think about the house um, renovation or new build in a really holistic way. So they're not about this piecemeal. Like I see a lot of homeowners go, well, I'm going to handle everything, but I can do the, I just, I just need help with the kitchen. And it's like, well, if you're about to pick all of these colors and finishes for the kitchen, how does that relate to your bathrooms? And we'll be, I mean, we'll be diving into this in more detail in coming episodes, but you know, I know when I've, when I've worked on the interior design of a home or I've worked with an interior designer, there is a huge opportunity for you to really tie together the whole experience of your house with the way that materials are chosen with the way that things are laid out with the right through to that detailing. And it is those five mil decisions. I remember a client saying to me that she just could not get over. She hadn't even contemplated that she'd have to consider how tall the kick plate on a kitchen would be or how it would sit on the floor or how the, where the handle would be positioned on the door. And, you know, there's those detailed decisions right through to, okay, is your kitchen arranged this way or this way? Because do you want this view or do you want this view? You know, how does the lighting work over this? And what's the experience that this house is actually going to bring to your sense of well-being and, you know, all of those kinds of things. So I think, yeah, I think that 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 real um, difficulty is that homeowners just think you're all about the finished surfaces and colours, as you say, the shapes and the colours. And and when you get an experienced interior designer on board, it can be a game changer in terms, particularly if you if you haven't if you've worked with an architect who hasn't really dived into that, that nitty gritty. This can be the stuff that really makes your home sing. You know, hopefully you've found an architect who 
is interested in this stuff as well. But like we were talking about in the last episode, a lot of architects aren't. And so this is the stuff that you'll be interacting with every day, touching, feeling, making work for your life. And so I think that it's really worthwhile in terms of thinking about that. So in terms of we talked a bit about when to get one on board and you were telling me about this off air. You're telling me about this fantastic exercise that you have for actually getting your brief out of your homeowners, which I think really illustrates the importance of getting an interior designer on board early, you know, not leaving them to that last. Cause can you talk through that process of how you get a brief out of a homeowner um, to illustrate why getting one on board early could make a really significant difference to your project? Well, I suppose the first thing is I give them a briefing template because people get really lost and often don't have a written brief. So I always suggest to my clients have a written brief in conjunction with a pictorial brief, so something with images, because those two things combined give a really holistic view of what you're trying to achieve, not only from an aesthetic perspective but also the functionality. So the written brief is also a really good opportunity for you to sit down with people that are going to live in that house. It's not just you writing the brief. What do your kids want out of their spaces? Um, You know, thinking about where are they going to study later on? Do we need to facilitate having people stay? How often do they stay? Because an interior designer can be thinking about how different rooms are going to be used. Um, So it's around that functionality piece of how the home has, has to perform. And the interior designer then can work with the architect if they're coming in early enough to make sure that those boxes are being ticked. So for me, it's not just about the aesthetics, which will be the images. It's about what you need to get out of this house. Um, and so that's why I think the written brief, it allows you to sit down and really think about that rather than just having a conversation and engaging other people in that process, whether that's your partner or whether it is kids in the family or whoever else is going to be living in that house. You can actually systematically go through that and really think about it. And then when you get the return brief, you're reflecting on it again to make sure, yeah, have we missed anything here or have we got this right? So I think it's time to sit and reflect about what you want is actually really important part of that briefing process. Yeah, I so agree with you. And I've actually got a brief builder inside uh, a couple of my online courses. And people have told me that just the exercise of sitting down and thinking about their house at that level of detail was a game changer for them because they, you know, and that's the thing, if you're working with, I see homeowners create their own design in an app or on graph paper and then take it straight to a builder. And I'm yet to see a builder who will work that hard to draw your brief out of you um, and really check and measure that you are asking for the things that you really want. Because so much about what a designer does, be it an architect, a really good building designer or an interior designer is ask a lot of questions, you know, because they've worked with, you know, an experienced one has worked with lots of homeowners like you, seen how those home experiences have played out for their clients. Uh, they're, they're in the study of how people live day to day. And so they will, they, you know, I find a lot of what I'm doing when I work one-to-one with clients, it's like asking them to find out what are the deal breakers? What are the, what are the things that they haven't thought about yet? What are the things that are definite, you know, they just haven't articulated to me are no-go zones, you know, but, you know, and what are the things that just really are so off their radar because their kids are very little at the moment or those types of things that you as a professional, yeah, you need to anticipate for them. So 
I think that uh, when homeowners don't bring on an interior designer on board early, you know, we talked in the last episode about some of those missed opportunities about things like building in the capacity to have decent window furnishings or how your lighting might be laid out, all those kinds of things. But it's even just having that professional to draw out of you in a process that's, you know, particularly with an experienced designer, What? how do you really need to live in this house and are we going to get all of these boxes ticked for you in the way that we go about this project? Because you're going to get one crack at it, you know, and so let's make sure that we're getting it right. And also getting it right before they're actually out of the ground. And I, and I think on that as well, when you've got a written brief, um, you know, I'll then sit down with clients, as I'm sure you will, uh, or do, I should say, and I actually challenge some of the things in there. And so what I also suggest is not necessarily saying, well, I need a bedroom that's, you know, we're going to have four bedrooms. It's talking about how you, how do you need to live your life in that house? So, and if someone does have something in their your brief that says, oh, well, I need a bedroom that's five metres by five metres, it's like, okay, so I will challenge that. So why do you need it this big? So tell me what, what you're going to have in there. What, what are you going to have TV in there? You're going to have a sofa in there? Whatever it is, same for these other living areas. If they know they're going to have people stay frequently, I'm going to challenge what these spaces, why would they need to be this size? Do we need to make them bigger? What do you need to do in the spaces? What do you need to do to live your life? And that's getting the brief right. And then letting the architect or the interior designer create, give them the freedom to create and respond to the brief rather than it being so systematic and dogmatic that the creative process is gone, coming up with something really amazing for the client. And, and going back to your other point about I encourage clients in your brief building got the same having, um, you know, what's negotiable and what's an absolute non-negotiable. This is a must-have. A, a must-have and a nice-to-have is actually how I've got it um, so that people can reflect on that as well. Could we not have this but we've got to have this? So it's a really awesome opportunity. I think too that exercise of going through the briefing process too is a really great way for partners who – um, may have really d- opposing points of view, actually get on the same page. I've seen a couple, n- um, you know, feel like they were never going to get anywhere because they kept just disagreeing about everything that they wanted. You know, they've completed these brief builders separately and they've come together and they can see, you know, priorities that are really important for one partner that the other partner might be willing to concede on um, or things that they're actually seeking to achieve exactly the same thing. They just had different images of it in their head and that's when a designer can really come in and facilitate and help homeowners get together to deliver something that meets both of their needs but perhaps doesn't look the way that they either of them were anticipating it to. And and that happens so much as well. I do sometimes call myself a mediator because um, that happens so much. It's just getting them on board. But again, it's being impartial and laying down the facts and um, and then weighing up the this is an advantage of this, this is a disadvantage here, and then they can go and discuss all of that because they've got more information rather than I have to have this or I have to have that. There might not be, you know, a, a, a logical rationale as to why they want that. So, yeah, it is a bit of marriage counselling all at the same time. <laughs> it is. It's very true. <laughs> and I've had homeowners say to me, I actually really like that you as the professional are telling us both this and that my partner can hear it from a professional, not just from me. So it is that thing. And, and I think as a, as a, this is, I mean, I hope homeowners are, that are listening to this are understanding these are part of the, this is, this is the difference that you see in experienced design professionals who are used to working with homeowners a lot compared to somebody who's just going to draw up what you tell them to draw up. 
You know, there's this whole beautiful process that can happen where a professional can actually draw out of you, facilitate this kind of road to this quant- this qualitative interpretation of how you need to live both now and into the future and create this outcome that you know, exceeds your expectations because it's it's beyond what you kind of anticipated because they have the expertise to bring that to you. And if you don't feel like when you're interviewing your designers that you're getting that sense of kind of guidance and um, and vision and support from them, then it's an immediate red flag that you need yeah, to keep looking. So yeah, it's not really, you're not really um, maximizing on the experience It's there. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, my job as a professional is, is to, like you say, to challenge, to question, to really ensure that you've, you know, dug through all of the layers and and uh, and really creating something that's going to be timeless and work really well over the long term. So now... I just feel if I'm not challenging, I'm not doing my job and I will say that so many times, you know, I'm sorry if I'm challenging this thought process, but if I'm not challenging, I'm not doing my job properly. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so, a real believer of that. Yeah. Now, lastly, I wanted to ask you about fees because this is a big thing I get is how much will an interior designer cost me, you know, and you see interior designers, decorators and stylists all charge quite differently. You see some of them are on uh, fixed fees, some of them are on stage, you know, do stages and fees per stage. Some of them are on hourly rates. I also see some designers and decorators and stylists will charge um, a lower upfront fee, but then they'll be charging a commission on the particular fixtures or soft furnishings that they're specifying and um, and so they're getting a uh, like you know not an admin fee but an actual commission rate on anything that you're that they're recommending to you that you then go on and buy so there's this kind of cocktail of different ways that people are being charged for an interior design service how do you recommend people kind of interrogate this really understand what they're being charged and what they need to ensure is kind of covered in their contracts so that they're you know on their fee agreements so that they don't get caught out in their in their process with their interior designer well, I suppose, yeah, you've covered off the different ways. Um, I think the only one that, that we probably didn't t- touch on was the percentage of the overall project, which is similar to the architect. So there's that 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 as well. And I suppose it's working out um, in the contract what, what are the deliverables and have that really, really clearly set out. What are the deliverables for what you're going to be um, be, be charged for? And really, I suppose it depends on the type of interior designer um, as to how they they charge. For example, I don't charge an hourly rate anymore. I used to, but I found that clients really preferred to, to you know, know exactly how much things were going to cost. But I suppose it's how you prefer to work. Um, you know, I do payment plans, for example, which might be similar to a stage plan when certain things are finished, like with a builder. That's when you actually pay that particular component. But in terms of the contract, I think it's really checking, um, you know, are you getting particular discounts or is your interior designer going to be ordering for you? Um, What sort of things are they going to be doing that you may not think may be included or not included, but you need to make sure that you're really, all the deliverables are down there so that, you know, tick, 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 I've got all those things. But, you know, am I going to have access to a discount? Uh, What sort of discount may that be? Um, Is the interior designer going to order for me? Um, Will I get the spec sheet? Are they, you know, all, are they going to decorate for me at the end? Are they going to set my house up at the end? So make sure if, if those things are important for you that they're, that they're covered off. 
Yeah, and I think that that thing of the um, the specification process, the selection of all of those fixtures and finishes and soft furnishings, and then um, the different ways that interior designers or decorators or stylists then might charge on top of that can be a really contentious thing in the industry. And I, you know, I think it's it's worth for a homeowner you know, we were talking off air about how sometimes clients expect to just get the wholesale price passed directly onto them and don't expect to have to pay any markup. But if you think about uh, any other part of the industry, what you're doing is you're still requiring somebody to order that, to, you know, to notate it down in specifications. There's still a level of administration involved with that item and so what I see you know you and I were talking about this most um, very experienced interior designers they'll be charging an admin fee for the coordination of the specification of that item so it's they're still passing on a wholesale price to you but there's a basically a management fee for doing that so um, and it's still guaranteed to going to be less expensive than paying the full retail price and then you having to leg it around to, (laughs) to manage that whole process and what's but what's really interesting is a lot of homeowners just don't even understand that they might not even get access to that item if they weren't working with an interior designer that they expect that they could just walk into any kind of um you know specification place or tile shop or um you know directly to a supplier and say can I have that item please and not understand that that's that there's lots of supplies that will not work directly with the retail market. Oh no they won't absolutely. And look I I've had clients that have tried to contact those suppliers directly and they will say look we we you know we, we go through the interior designer um and, and i suppose on that other point about the management fee for products that are purchased sometimes it, it is exactly as you stated where there'll be um you know a price passed on and then there's an admin fee on top or sometimes it might be broken down differently and this is what you need to check in your contract that you might get a percentage discount off retail and that admin fee is already then included if yeah. that makes sense. So they're the sort of things to to check. And you can always ask the question and I'd always get things put in writing because then it's really, really clear. Yeah. And no, that- if it's unsure, if you're unsure about anything in the contract, make sure that you get that clarified before you sign. Yeah, that's great advice because I think that um, if you can drop the assumption that you just get access to wholesale prices just because, um, I'm not quite sure where anywhere else that happens <laughs> so for, I find well, the it really not passing on wholesale prices they get discount and they've, they've got their admin fee but that's built into their uh, you know to, in, into their structure and that's really accepted in the industry um i think because it's not consistent in the building industry i think it's consistent but for interior designers like we were talking about before about all the other inconsistencies there's so many that, that there's just not a standard yeah and that's it's very true i think people then think well um, yeah, it's very difficult to compare apples with apples. I, you know, like we were saying, I'd really encourage homeowners to just make sure that you are always signing some kind of fee agreement or contract. Again, because this industry, part of the industry isn't regulated, you'll find that different interior design professionals will have very different ways of handling their agreement with you. And you always want to make sure that you've got some sort of recourse, something to go back to and say, but this isn't what we agreed I was paying for. This, this isn't, you know, what I signed up for. And if you're just hiring somebody on an hourly rate with no fee agreement in place, then you've got no recourse when they don't behave towards your to your expectations. So it's a it's a it can cause a lot of drama and um and be a very difficult thing to kind of eke back if you found that you've not ended up what, with what you thought you were paying for. So and I found that because um, I have had people say, well, look, why don't you do the hourly rate? 
and even though I used to work on that basis, once I sort of explained why it's more advantageous for the client because they've got a fixed fee, they also get the agreement. It's very difficult to have an agreement when you're on an hourly rate. It can be more difficult. Um, but you know what your deliverables are. Rather than an hourly rate, is it really clear what the, what the deliverables are going to be? It's packaged up. You know exactly what you're getting for a particular fee. Um, so once I explain that to clients, I think, oh, yeah, that is actually a better arrangement for everyone. Um, so I think that you've got to work out what's going to work for you. If you've only got a couple of things to get done that's more like a decorating thing, then it might be better to work off an hourly rate. But certainly with a, a new build or a renovation, um, it's dangerous ground. It is dangerous ground. The hourly rate thing is a really fascinating one because um, so many like people can get different things done at different rates of time. And that doesn't necessarily make them worth less or more money. Like if if I can get a decision made in 10 minutes because I have 20 years of experience behind it, that doesn't make it worth 10 minutes worth of my time. Like it's, you know, so it's really, it's really interesting. And I think that when you sign up to an hourly rate with somebody without understanding or at least them giving you, look, in eight hours I can ordinarily achieve this and this is what will send me, this is what what can potentially change that, you are literally like creating an open checkbook for, uh, you know, your designer. Um, And if you've got the funds to do that, then by all means knock yourself out. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a budget that you're trying to work to. Yeah, you you need to know what that is up front and what you're going to get for that. Yeah, definitely. Much safer. Francis, that's fantastic. I think we've done some uh, digging on uh, those myths of interior designers and uh, I think there's some really great information there for homeowners who are looking at their fee proposals and really understanding how interior designers charge and what to look for. So thanks very much. Welcome. I do hope that you enjoyed our conversation and that you found it helpful and perhaps it busted some of the myths and ideas that you've heard about interior designers and the world of interior design. Now head to the show notes to grab links and resources mentioned in this episode and also to get in touch with Frances and White Pebble Interiors or to check out her book, Your Forever Home. You'll also find a link to learn more about Interior Design 101, which is the self-study online program that will help you gain clarity and confidence for the interior design of your future home. Inside Interior Design 101, we discuss more myths and there's one especially that uh, we see homeowners have that all interior designers understand construction and building codes. Now, there are experienced interior designers out there who understand how buildings get put together, but I've also had far too many scary conversations with interior designers, decorators and stylists who I've seen them advising homeowners on construction and building decisions, uh, not have the understanding, not have the information that they need and be seriously jeopardising the homeowner and themselves in the process just exposing them to huge amounts of risk. So we talk about that inside Interior Design 101 and it can be really risky because when your interior designer doesn't understand building codes and standards, um, that's a really big problem. And when you've assumed that that's the information that they're providing, it can be really, really challenging. We also talk about the animosity that we see in the industry and how to work better to create collaboration and trust with your team overall so that you can get the best results. Now, in the next podcast episode, Francis and I will be back again and we're going to be diving into what Francis believes is the first decision that you need to make when it comes to selecting uh, finishes for your home. Now, when you start with this item, it can actually make the other decisions much simpler. Well, what is this? Well, 
You'll have to tune in next week to find out. As always, huge gratitude to you. Thanks for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Bye.